This is the Locked On Aggies podcast, your daily source for everything Texas A&M athletics. The Locked On Aggies podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Taylor Travis. A lot to get to today, some Aggie basketball, of course, some Aggie football as well. But before we get to all that, I want to remind you to follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Aggies. That's where every episode is posted. That's where lots of news and notes surrounding Aggie football, Aggie basketball, pretty much every Texas A&M sport is posted as well. You can also follow myself on Twitter at TaylorTravis15. And you can also like the show on Facebook. Just search Locked On Aggies in the search tab, click like, and that's where most of the episodes, if not all the episodes, as well as lots of news and notes surrounding Aggie sports will be posted there as well. You can also find the podcast on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn. The list goes on and on. Basically, anywhere you normally listen to podcasts, just search for Locked On Aggies. You'll find me there. But again, at Locked On Aggies on Twitter, at TaylorTravis15 on Twitter, and you can go to the Locked On Aggies Facebook page as well. Also, if you ever have a question for me for the show, you can do that three different ways. You can either email the show, LockedOnAggies at gmail.com. I'm quick to respond, and I check it throughout the day. So if you ask a good question, there's a good chance that I will address it during the show. And again, I love the interaction. I love the feedback from listeners, so it's always appreciated. Uh, if you don't want to go to your email and do that, you can also go to Twitter. You can either tweet the show at LockedOnAggies, or you can tweet at me at TaylorTravis15. Either way works fine for me. It's just whatever is easy for you. Don't hesitate to reach out. Like I said before, there's a lot to get to today. Texas A&M football season already at the midway point. It's hard to believe, but they're already six games in, sitting at 4-2, and two, number 22 in the country. Uh, but what I did yesterday towards the end of the show, I gave a really brief mid-season review. I kind of want to go into more detail on that because I don't think we had enough time to really give a good, solid mid-season review. So today I'm going to give some positive takeaways of the season so far, some negative takeaways, then look at the schedule that's left and just kind of get a feel of where this program is right now and what direction this program is headed in year one under Jimbo Fisher. Believe it or not, the Texas A&M basketball team started practice on Monday. Uh, that kind of snuck up on me. I don't know if it snuck up on you. I'm sure it did, but I think I'm so invested in the college football season right now, not just Texas A&M. I'm a big college football guy in general. I mean, last night the fun belt started Appalachian state and Arkansas state. I watched that. I'm just a big college football nut and completely invested in college football. I look up Aggie basketball starting practice. I couldn't believe it. It really snuck up on me, but their season is just a couple weeks away. It's hard to believe. So I want to take a look at this Texas A&M team, maybe get an idea of what to expect this year. I think it's anybody's guess. There were so many key departures, but there's a lot of key additions as well. It's going to look completely different. The whole team top to bottom, I think is going to play a different style of basketball. So let's go ahead and dive into that. When I think back on that Texas A&M basketball team last year, it was really a hard team to get a grasp on because sometimes they looked like a legitimate top five team in the country. When they were on, I think they could have beaten any team in the country. I mean, you remember when they beat West Virginia to start the year and they looked really, really good. They beat Kentucky at one point during the year. They had that monster second half where they couldn't be stopped on the offensive end and they were playing lockdown defense. On the other end, there was times they looked really good. And there was other times they just looked awful. Like they looked atrocious. Like they hadn't played basketball a day in their lives. It was such an up and down season. Eventually, they snuck into the tournament. They beat Providence. And then they beat North Carolina. 
to advance to the Sweet 16 in a game that a lot of people favored North Carolina pretty handily. They smoked North Carolina. And you're thinking, okay, maybe this Texas A&M team is getting hot at the right time because they certainly had the talent to make a Final Four run. They just couldn't really pull it all together. But when they beat North Carolina, a lot of people, myself included, I was starting to think maybe this team is getting hot at the right time because that's what college basketball is all about, especially when you enter the tournament. But they took on Michigan in the Sweet 16, and they got smoked. Such a weird up-and-down season for Texas A&M. That's kind of been the story of Billy Kennedy coach teams. There hasn't been any consistency. Will this be the year he's on the hot seat? Because if you remember, he signed that extension just a couple years back. He still has a lot of years left on that contract. But Texas A&M, aside from that Sweet 16 appearance, hasn't really done a whole lot under Billy Kennedy. There was that year they had Alex Caruso, Daniel House, Jalen Jones. They made the Sweet 16, and they got smoked by a really good Oklahoma team and Buddy Hilde. I'm not blaming him for that, but besides those two years where they made the Sweet 16, I haven't seen a whole lot out of Billy Kennedy that makes me think his job should be completely secure this season. Let's take a look at this team. A lot of big departures. First of all, Tyler Davis, who was the best player on that Texas a team last year. One of the best players in the SEC he was sort of the heart and soul. He was the leader, both vocally and by example. He was such a tough guy in the paint. Good rebounder, good defender. He could score the basketball. His improvement from the day he stepped on campus up until his last day playing basketball for Texas A&M. Remember, he left a year early to go to the NBA. He left after his junior year. But when he enrolled as a freshman, he was overweight. He was out of shape. He was huge. I mean, he was a big, strong dude. But he could hardly stay on the court. He completely transformed his body from his freshman year to his junior year. In fact, he told us that when he went back to his old high school, people didn't even recognize him. That had me thinking, the dude's 6'10". How can you not recognize him? Did he really lose that much weight? Well, I mean, he really did. He trimmed down a lot. He put on a lot of muscle. And he really, I mean, you got to give him credit for working hard and becoming an NBA prospect and allowing himself to leave college early. Even though he didn't get drafted, he gets signed as an undrafted free agent. He is making money playing professionally, so give him credit. But he's going to be sorely missed by the Texas A&M basketball team. Also, DJ Hogue, a guy who, he had unbelievable talent. He was an excellent three-point shooter, but he could just never get it together. He could never stay out of trouble. And I think a big reason why he left was because he was sort of in that situation where he had one strike left. Because he got in trouble several times while in school. He faced a couple of suspensions he was kind of down to his last straw, and I think he knew it was time that he was ready to leave college and test the NBA waters. There's no doubt in my mind that DJ Hogue has legitimate NBA potential. I just don't know about his work ethic, and I don't know about the head on his shoulders. But Texas A&M's going to miss his ability to space the floor, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but at times last season, he played well defensively. He really did. That was my biggest knock on him, is he seemed lazy on the defensive side of the floor, but last year, he kind of took a step up, and he could make stops when he wanted to. Keyword, when he wanted to. But it was there. You're also losing Robert Williams, a first-round draft pick, one of the best athletes to come through Texas A&M. I don't think he ever fully figured it out in college. I don't think Billy Kennedy ever really grasped the best way to use him. But there's no doubt Texas A&M's going to miss his defensive abilities in the post, his ability to block shots, his ability to catch lobs. 
and score easy buckets. I mean, you look at Tyler Davis and you look at Robert Williams. Those are two of the best post players in the SEC. Maybe two of the best post players in the country. Texas A&M is no doubt going to miss their presence down low. Now, they do have some new guys coming in, some guys returning. Admon Gilder, TJ Starks gives them a really good one-two punch at guard. I think arguably the best one-two punch at guard in the SEC. Admon Gilder has been in the league for a long time. He averaged 12.3 points per game last year. He can shoot the ball. He can defend. He can drive to the basket. He's one of those guys who can just do everything. And then you have TJ Starks, who's going to be a sophomore, averaged 10 points per game. He stepped up big time down the stretch when Dwayne Wilson went down with an injury. But TJ Starks is a guy, he's a fierce competitor. He's learning to play the point guard position. I think he's going to take a major step up this year. And I think he has the makings of being a star in the SEC. I really do. You also have some transfers coming in, some new faces. You have Brandon Mahan from Chipola College, who shot 50% from the three-point line last year. He's going to be a guy that the Aggies use to stretch the floor which is something that they haven't really had in years past, that consistent three-point shooter. Uh, Christian Mekawolu from Tennessee State, a guy who's 6'9", 245, a really big body who defends well, averaged 12.9 points, 7.9 rebounds per game at Tennessee State. I know that's not SEC-level competition, but there's no doubt he can play basketball, he can bang in the post, and Texas a really needs that guy after losing Tyler Davis and Robert Williams. So I'm really interested to see the type of role that he takes on this season. Uh, Wendell Mitchell, he's a junior uh, transfer from Baylor, went to junior college, Trinity Valley. He's kind of a combo guard, a scorer, not the best three-point shooter, but a guy who can pass the ball. He can drive to the basket. He can play a little defense. Just a really good, solid guy to have who can do it all at that guard position. You also have Savion Flagg coming back. Savion Flagg is going to be a sophomore. He's out of Alvin High School. Uh, he had his spurts last season. I think there was a lot of growing pains involved. He was still trying to find his role on the offense, really on the team as a whole. Uh, I think he could be your starting four if Billy Kennedy decides to do that. He's kind of small for a four, but he can play the four. He does have decent size. Uh, he can guard several different positions. Very athletic. It's just a matter of him figuring out how he fits in the offense you also have J.J. Chandler from KD. He's going to be a sophomore coming in. He showed some really good signs last year. He had some really poor games. He had some really good games as well. But he showed me a lot of athleticism. I'm looking forward to seeing how he grows in the program as well. But it's going to be a really interesting Texas A&M basketball team. I really don't know what to expect. I'm thinking NIT. I'm not sure. But one thing I do suspect is this team's going to have a completely different type of offense this year. I think they're going to space the floor more. They're going to shoot a lot more threes. They're going to go from the outside in versus the inside out, which is what we saw last season with Tyler Davis and Robert Williams. Coming up next, we're going to switch to Aggie football. We're going to give our in-depth mid-season review. But before we do that, I want to tell you about Sling TV. I have a question. Are you tired of paying hundreds of dollars for cable and only watching 10, 15, 20 of the 400 channels that you pay for? Well, that's something that I get tired of, but I have a solution. Sling TV. For me, I like Sling TV because it's the best way to watch college football. You get all the ESPN channels, you get the Pac-12 network, the SEC network, and so much more. There's also no useless channels. There's no long-term contracts. I hate how a lot of cable companies do that to you these days where you sign a contract and you're locked in for five years. You can't get out without paying a huge cancellation fee. Sling TV doesn't do that. There's also no hidden fees. 
and you can cancel at any time. So if you get it, you don't like it, that's fine. You can cancel. No cancellation fees, which is a big plus for me because I know I can trust them. Sign up for Sling TV and get a seven-day free trial. This is a special offer for you, my listener, the Locked On Aggies listener. Locked On listeners can get their seven-day free trial by going to sling.com slash locked on. That's S-L-I-N-G dot com slash locked on, and you can get a seven-day free trial. If you like it, great. Sign up. Only $30 a month. If you don't, that's fine. You can cancel. It's as simple as that. Sling TV. I recommend it. There's no more useless channels that you pay hundreds of dollars a month for. That's what I like about it. It's $30 a month in all the channels you want. No long-term contracts. No hidden fees. Again, for a seven-day free trial, go to sling.com slash locked on. You're listening to the Locked On Aggies podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On Aggies podcast, your daily source for everything Texas A&M Athletics. I'm your host, Taylor Travis, and it's time to transition from Aggie basketball to Aggie football. Now, Aggie football, smack dab in the middle of the season, six games down, six games to go, four and two, 22nd in the country. I would say so far it's a success under Jimbo Fisher. I think if you were to tell me before the year that Texas A&M is four and two in the halfway point, I would think, okay, well, they haven't lost anybody that they're supposed to beat. And they haven't beaten anybody that they're supposed to lose to. I mean, Texas A&M, heavy underdogs against Alabama and Clemson, lost to them. And then they were favorites against Arkansas, uh, against Kentucky, and of course, Northwestern State and Louisiana Monroe won all four of those games. So, so far, I would say it's a pretty good success. Now, on yesterday's show, just briefly, I hit on this a little bit. I gave some positives and some negatives of the season so far. I just want to dive a little bit more in depth because we ran out of time. I wish we would have had more time to get to that, so we're going to do that today. But some positives and negatives so far in the season and a brief look ahead of what's to come. I think far and away, my biggest positive takeaway of the season so far for Texas A&M has to be the run defense because for the longest time, Texas A&M's run defense was soft and it was exposed. Think about all the times Texas A&M played Alabama and LSU. Alabama ran right down their gut LSU just torched them on the ground. If you remember the Thanksgiving game at Kyle Field a couple years ago where LSU scored 50-plus points, and they ran maybe three or four or five at most plays the whole game, and most, if not all of them, were Darius Geis around the right side, Darius Geis around the left side, Geis up the middle. Texas A&M on defense had no answer for it. There was no adjustments made. It was a train wreck. But this year, Mike Elko comes in from Notre Dame, He completely transforms the defense. Everybody's a year older. But right now, they're ranked fourth in the country. And you look at the teams they've shut down on the ground. Alabama with Damian Harris and Najee Harris, two guys who have an NFL future. A Clemson team that's pretty good offensively. They have a lot of talent at running back. And then the best running back in the SEC, in my opinion, Benny Snell. They held Benny Snell at 63 yards, which is something that Hasn't hardly ever been done in his career. But the Texas A&M defense found a way. I've been extremely impressed with this Texas A&M run defense. And I'll say this. I knew it would be improved. And a big part of that is because it couldn't get much worse. But another big reason for that is I looked at the talent on this roster. Dayla Mack, Justin Batabuke, Kingsley Kiki, Landis Durham, Tyrell Dodson, Ataro Alaka. And I thought Mike Elko has a lot of really good players to work with. And this run defense will be a lot better. 
Now, when I say a lot better, I was thinking maybe 40, 45, not fourth, not even close to fourth. But look at the job Mike Elko has done with his Texas A&M defense, and look at the, uh, the improvement that some of the players have shown, some of the development. We've been waiting a long time for Dalen Mack to improve. I mean, his freshman year, he was so hyped up. He was a five-star prospect from Whitewater. He was considered one of the best prospects in the country. But he came in overweight. He couldn't stay on the field. That was the case his freshman year, his sophomore year, even his junior year. But under Mike Elko, under this new coaching staff, Dalen Mack has a whole new mindset, and he's taking a huge step forward. So has Justin Matabuke. So has Kingsley Kiki, Landis Durham, Tyrell Dodson, Atarla Laka. It's the whole defense. The whole front seven has responded in a big way. And the way they're stopping the run has me fully believing this team's capable of winning nine games. Will they? I don't know. But I think they're more than capable just on how they're able to stop the run alone. Because you look at the teams left on the schedule, it's a lot of teams that like to run the football. Texas A&M has proven time and time again they can shut that down. I'm also really encouraged. This is my second positive takeaway. I'm really encouraged by the buy-in from the players under Jimbo Fisher. Anytime you hire a new head coach, especially when there's such a big difference between a Kevin Sumlin coach team and a Jimbo Fisher coach team, I'm not saying one's wrong, the other's right. I'm just saying they're completely different styles of coaching. You're going to be worried about the buy-in. Some players just aren't going to buy in. Some players are going to want to transfer. But for the most part, it seems like all the players are buying in. And he's, his fingerprint is already on this football team, the way they play. I mean, think back on Saturday's game. It was a defensive battle. It was a lot of grit, a lot of toughness shown. That was a game that I think a Kevin Sumlin team would have lost just because they would have eventually worn down. They would have rolled over. But under Jimbo Fisher, this team shows the toughness and the grit that he talked about the first day he took the job. It's a really good sign for the future, and I'm fully bought in. I fully believe that Jimbo Fisher will have this Texas a team competing for championships sometime soon rather than later. And the third thing that I've been really impressed by so far this year, it's Kellamont. I knew when Kellamont stepped on campus that he had superstar potential. I knew that he could one day be one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the SEC. And from what I heard all offseason was that he was ready to take that next step. And sure enough, so far this year, he's looked like that guy who was going to be the guy for Texas a for quite some time. I know he's had his growing pains. I mean, you look at the Arkansas game, you look at the Kentucky game, some untimely turnovers. But for the most part, especially against Clemson, he's not afraid to rise to the occasion. He's not afraid of the spotlight. And he's taken major strides from both a quarterback standpoint and a leadership standpoint. Remember, Jimbo Fisher said early on, whoever wins the team is going to win the starting job. And he had two capable quarterbacks, Kellen Mond, Nick Starkle. But I think what Kellen Mond did is, A, he can win the game in more than one way. He's very mobile, and he has a really good arm. But B, I think the team just rallies around him more so than they did Nick Starkle. You look at the way he communicates on the field. You look at the way the team responds when he's in that huddle. There's something about Kellamont. He has it. You can't really teach it, but he has it. And I'm looking forward to watch him continuing to grow under Jimbo Fisher and in this Texas A&M offense, not only this year, but next year and the year after as well. Those are my positives. We're going to get to my negatives next. But before we do that, I want to tell you about Vivid Seats. You know, I love going to sporting events. I'm sure you do too. You're listening to this podcast. So I'm sure you love sports. 
But there's always the question, where do I go to get tickets? There's so many options. Where do I go? Well, let me recommend somebody to you. Let me recommend Vivid Seats. The reason I like Vivid Seats, one, it's a 100% buyer's guarantee. So your tickets are guaranteed from the moment you buy them. And two, if you're a new customer, they have a very special offer for you, the Locked On Aggies listener. Download the Vivid Seats app on Google Play or the App Store. Use promo code Locked On for $20 off orders of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. That's right. Go to the App Store or Google Play, download the Vivid Seats app, and use promo code Locked On for $20 off orders of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. I already mentioned I like going to games. It's not just sporting events, it's concerts, it's theater. Anything you need a ticket to, you can use Vivid Seats. The app's great. You can also go online on your PC, but you can use promo code Locked On for $20 off orders of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event like they've helped me time and time and time again. Again, that's Locked On. Promo code Locked On for $20 off orders of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. You're listening to the Locked On Aggies podcast, your daily source for everything Texas A&M athletics, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Taylor Travis. I'm your host. You can follow me on Twitter at TaylorTravis15. But before we were talking about some of the positive takeaways from the first half of the season, let's get to the negative observations and takeaways from the first half of the season. And for me, I got to start with the wide receivers. I know the Texas A&M passing game has been pretty good overall, but the receivers, to me, they've been really disappointing. It starts with Jamon Osmond, who I expected to take a big step forward this year and become one of the best receivers in the SEC. I know he was the leading receiver before he got hurt against Arkansas, but he never really emerged to me as that wide receiver one that so many people hyped him up to being and that I saw last year. I know last year he had Christian Kirk. He had an emerging Damian Ratley. Uh, So defenses weren't necessarily dialed in on him. But he showed enough to me last year as a freshman. I thought, okay, next year is going to be his time to be the go-to guy in this offense. And he was never really that guy. I mean, he had a lot of drops. He never ran good routes. He just did not seem like that wide receiver one. Now, after I learned what his injury was, it was a fracture, a broken bone in his foot. I kind of understood where that could probably throw him off big time, especially with route running and maybe even catching the ball if he's really in that much pain. But I'm not sure when that injury occurred. Either way to me, it's been a disappointment. But you look beyond Ospin, right? There's a lot of talent there, but nobody's really stepping up. Cam Buckley, Kendrick Rogers, they've all made plays throughout the year, but nobody's been consistent. In the second half of the season, I want to see somebody step up and be that go-to guy on the offense. I know Jay Sternberger, the Texas A&M tight end, has been a really good target for Kellamond, but they need somebody on the outside who can make plays. When it's third and long, who are you going to throw to to pick up the first down? Right now, I don't think Texas A&M has that guy in the roster. I hope I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that guy emerges as the year goes on. But right now, I don't see it. Also, the offensive line. I was really hoping, and I know I wasn't naive. I mean, you look at that depth chart, there's a lot of youth on that offensive line. But I was really hoping another year under Jim Turner, who's one of the most respected offensive line coaches in college football, I thought the offensive line might take a huge step forward. I haven't seen that. Now, I will say I think they've improved a little bit as the year goes on. They've given up a lot of sacks. 
to opposing defenses. But looking back, I think some of that's on Kellen Mond for holding on to the ball for too long. I think that might be on the receivers for not being able to get open. But at the same time, the offensive line needs to give Kellen Mond more time in the pocket. They also need to get more push up front to allow Travion Williams to run loose, which is something I think the offensive line has been doing better over the last couple games against Arkansas, against Kentucky. But it's something I want to see more of. And I think it's something that we won't see a lot more of until maybe a year or two down the road when some of these younger guys start to develop. But again, I've seen some improvement as the year's gone on. That's encouraging, no doubt. But I was hoping another year under Jim Turner and they would take a huge step forward. I haven't seen it so far this year. My last negative takeaway of the first half of the season so far is the secondary. Now, the secondary plays a lot better with Donovan Wilson on the field. I'll say that, but he hasn't been able to stay on the field much. He's been ejected for targeting twice. He can only do so much, right? He's only one guy. And I know there's a lot of youth, but none of these guys who are on the field right now, Chuck Oliver, Davion Rimfro, Derek Tucker, they don't look like SEC defensive backs to me. I mean, they're not good in man coverage. They play a really weak zone. Their tackling is very poor. That's a concern to me because tackling was poor throughout the Kevin Sumlin tenure. I mean, I thought maybe it was a Mark Snyder thing, and then I thought maybe it was a John Chavis thing. And then once Jimbo Fisher took over and he brought in Mike Elko, I thought, okay, the tackling issues have to go away, right? Well, no, not necessarily. They still throw their bodies at guys. They still try to make that big highlight reel hit. The fundamental tackling just isn't there. And I don't know if that's coaching. I don't think it's coaching. I have a lot of faith in the coaching staff Jimbo Fisher has put together. But I'm starting to think maybe it's just talent or lack thereof. None of these guys in the secondary, minus Donovan Wilson and minus Leon O'Neill, who is a true freshman, hasn't seen the field that much, but I've been impressed with what I've seen so far. None of these guys really look like guys you want on the field long term. I know they're young. I know there's still plenty of time for them to develop and get better. And I know help is on the way once Clifford Chapman gets back and once Kildrick Carper gets back. But I'll say this. I think the game against Ole Miss is a serious problem for Texas A&M. And I know you're thinking, wait, what? Ole Miss is terrible. Yeah, they're not a good football team, but their strength is on offense. They have the best receiving core in the SEC. And I don't know if I trust that Texas A&M secondary to be able to stop DK Metcalf, A.J. Brown, Demarcus Lodge. It's going to be a problem for Texas A&M. Now, I still think Texas A&M wins that game, but they do not want that game to turn into a shootout or they're in trouble. That's going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Aggies. On tomorrow's show, we'll start to look in-depth at South Carolina. Texas A&M is going to take on South Carolina at 2.30 on the SEC Network on Saturday in South Carolina. So the start of three straight road games for Texas A&M. It's going to be a big test. But until then, thanks for listening to the Locked on Aggies podcast, your daily source for everything Texas A&M athletics. I'm your host, Taylor Travis. The Locked on Aggies podcast, a part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.